Kubernetes is an open-source container orchestration system. It makes managing container clusters possible, as well as deploying code changes to those containers. Microservice architecture is widely used today, in large part because of Kubernetes. However, using it can require a large time commitment due to its learning curve. The company Octeto empowers developers to innovate and deliver cloud-native applications faster than ever. Octeto CLI lets developers deploy realistic replicas of their stack on Kubernetes and updates it for continuous deployments. It also manages different code environments, self-service access, and container scaling automatically. In this episode, we talk with Ramiro Beraleza, founder and CEO of Octeto, about managing Kubernetes clusters with Octeto. Ramiro, welcome to the show. Jeffrey, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm very thrilled to be here as a longtime listener, first-time participant. Wonderful. Well, as we spoke about, the place to start this conversation is with the famous container orchestration wars. To jog people's memories, or if they have not studied the container orchestration wars, this was a period of time, probably 2015 through 2017, roughly, when there were rivaling container orchestration systems and businesses built on top of those container orchestration systems. It was a messy time. It came out with the result of Kubernetes essentially being the de facto container orchestrator. Ramiro, what are your reflections on the container orchestration wars? That was, as you said, a super interesting time. Back then, I was working for this DevOps kind of oriented company, and I remember we were pretty close to like the Mesos folk back then. And it was interesting because you had this kind of like Remember three three kind of like big things. There was like CoreOS, there was Mesos, there was Docker, Docker Swarm. Nomad. So it's, Nomad, yeah, you're right. Nomad. There was there's a few of those. And and then even at some point, Puppet and Chef were trying to do something around containers. It was a very interesting time. It's it's funny how looking back, how we're still struggling with a lot of the same things that back then. Like Kubernetes clearly won. It became the, the, the standard. Now everyone is using Kubernetes. But it's funny how the same concerns we had back then around, hey, how do developers use this? Dev experience, observability, uh, whether you wanted something to be declarative or more like you know, program oriented are, are still the same challenges that the community is debating these days. So it's, it's fun how we solve some big issues, like, hey, running containers at a scale. Now people know how to. But it's still the how and the tooling around that is still something that we keep debating. And I like it because I feel like we are finding more challenges as we adopt more of these technologies. And it's a fun space to be involved with. I've been around containers since around 2015 until today. And it's, a, it's definitely a fun space to be at, uh, even though Kubernetes kind of won, quote unquote. There's so much work to do there that uh, you know, keeps us busy every day. Is, is the correct way to think about this like, you know, Linux one, there's not really a Linux company. There's there's a lot of Linux companies. Is that how we should be thinking about this? Where there's just, it, this is not like a domain where anybody's going to win. It's just a gigantic ecosystem with a lot of companies doing different things. Yeah, I, I see it the same way. I think that Kubernetes is really in a, in a trajectory to become the new Linux. Like one of my mentors always talks about Kubernetes as like the cloud OS. Like Linux was like the VM OS or like the when, when clouds became a thing, 
you know, back when like AWS was starting, Linux clearly became the easiest way to run a cloud server. But now it's like Kubernetes is the way to run containers. So I think as this kind of like ecosystem matures, we're going to see less about Kubernetes and more about companies building things on top of it. I think what VMware did for VMs, I think is what we're going to see for Kubernetes. Not selling you Kubernetes, that's going to become invisible, kind of like, you know, the same way that electricity is something that you just get from someone, but you don't really care that much. And more about what vendors are giving you value added on top of it, what vendors are solving. The typical problems we've always had with policies, storage, access control, and now all these new things. Like in our case, Dev Experience, but many other things. And, and I think that's how, as this settles, that's where we're going to see a lot of interesting companies coming up. All right. So Kubernetes platform companies, I've seen a number of these. Perhaps the most successful outcome, at least the successful measurable outcome, I would say is Heptio. Heptio started by Joe Bita and Craig McClucky, who were early Kubernetes founders slash contributors, was sold to VMware for something like $400 million, I believe. And if I recall, the Heptio product was built heavily around support. And they were they were sort of searching for what is the software play here. They had a they had a great support story and they were able to sell to to VMware sort of under the aegis of we're just going to define VMware's container and Kubernetes strategy. Since then I guess Rancher is still going pretty well. I like Shang Liang. But I look at Octeto and it seems like you've done something a little bit novel, at least a little bit novel. What are you doing that is novel in the Kubernetes platform space? The main thing we're we're trying to really innovate and, and do things differently is that we're building a platform that's very, very focused on developers. Octeto is not a platform for production. It's not a platform where you run your services at scale. Our main focus is on how do we help developers who are building these services during the development uh, lifecycle. Because there's a lot of, of tooling, a lot of platforms focus on things like you know software supply chain, security, progressive rollouts, all those things. Uh, some really cool stuff in that space. But when we started Octeto, there was no one building tooling for what we now call cloud-native developers, which is all these teams who are building microservices, who are building applications that will run on Kubernetes. So from day one, you know, my co-founders and I, all of us being developers, we were like, this is a tool we've always needed. Let's go build it. So it's very focused on all those things that developers do from the moment they get a feature assigned to the point where their PR is reviewed, ready to be merged, and then taken to production. And who uses this? Like, you know, if I'm using Kubernetes, chances are I'm using it through AWS or Google Cloud or Azure. And they're going to give me lots of robust Kubernetes thingies. Why do I want to use Octeto? Right, that's a, that's a great question. And the way Octeto is, we see it, is we see Octeto as the next layer above from, from those things. You go to the AWS, you go to Google, Sivo, any of these cloud providers, and you get you know, your Kubernetes infrastructure. And that's the step one. You have the compute, you have the engine. The question now is, how, do, how those your developers are going to consume this? 
And what we've seen in the market is that you, you normally have two choices. One is you train your entire engineering team on Kubernetes, and they have to use things like Minikube, or you know everyone has access to an, a cluster, whatnot. Or what we see more and more on the industry is developers kind of ignore Kubernetes, run things locally, whichever way they see fit, and then they kind of interact with Kubernetes, maybe on a PR environment, typically on like a pre-production staging. So that's kind of like what we've seen on companies. So Octeto kind of fills the gap in giving you the software you need so your developers can access Kubernetes when they're developing. And this is everything from how do you give them credentials to your clusters? How do they do things like create a namespace and deploy their application? One of the things we kind of built early on with Octeto was this concept of a namespace as a service, which is the idea that you log in to a web app, you click a button, and that creates a namespace for you. And then you click another button and you deploy your application. And then your uh, as you write code, you kind of sync your changes between your local machine and this dev environment that's running on Kubernetes. And you're constantly testing. You're already integrated and you're interacting with Kubernetes on day one. This is something that some of the early adopters of Kubernetes kind of built on their own. If you, I mean, if you know, Spotify has uh, this platform called, is it Backstore, Backchannel, something like that. And there's a few more like that, but most companies don't, don't have anything like this. So they're using Octeto to accelerate their developers, to give them access to Kubernetes without having to train them on every single nook and cranny that, as you know, Kubernetes can be, can be complex. And most developers don't need to get that deep. Most developers are happy to kind of like focus on the business logic and not become experts on containers, on networks, on policies. They just want all that automated. So that's where Octeto really helps teams you know, ship, ship software faster, as most DevTools do. The layer on top, so you're talking about a layer on top of essentially GKE, EKS, or ECS. EKS, what's, what's uh, and then Azure, what's the Azure Azure one? is AKS, a- I think, Azure AKS, all right, whatever. It, uh-huh. Choose, uh, choose your K-S. <laughs> acronym. You're a layer on top of them. You give those platforms richer richer problem solutions and those problems are things like credentials secure namespaces auto scaling and essentially like garbage collection so the so the whole garbage collection idea is really interesting to me because there's obviously this trend in cloud cost management right where everybody's spending too much on cloud you got a startup your startup's growing really quickly you scale up your infrastructure like it's nothing. You're serving traffic. You got a high margin business. Who cares about the cogs? And then over time, you, you realize your cogs have gotten way higher than they should be because you're not cleaning up your, your Kubernetes clusters. How do you build the garbage collector for Kubernetes? That's that's one of, our, of the features that I, I like the most. And, and kind of to set it in context, the way we think about it is the other way around. Is As a developer, you get to Octeto and you deploy your dev environment. That's what you really care about. A copy of your application, any other services you might need, your code, all those things, right? One click, it's up and running. And when you're done, just go home. A lot of our customers, as you said, started to see is that as developers have access to more cloud infrastructure, these environments just kept running all the time. And as you do things like attaching a dev environment, a preview environment, you know, any PR that has a copy of your application for you to validate things, or 
as you start creating more branches, these environments that start to, you know, add up. And developers, they don't like to think about these things. I never remember I have to delete this database. Like uh, more than once I've been surprised with these huge cloud builds because I forgot to erase things. And every developer does that. So what we decided to do was, hey, we give you a one-click experience with a dev environment. But really what we want to give you is this platform where you don't have to think about these things. You deploy by clicking a button. And when you're done, it's going to go away. So what we did is we kind of built this, this workflow engine that based on, on metrics like requests, when you deployed, how long it's been running, when was the last time you accessed your dev environment, it will calculate. And after it reaches a certain threshold, it will just run. And the first thing we do is it will scale everything down to zero. And this is one of the really cool things about building this platform on top of Kubernetes, is that Kubernetes already has all these mechanics in place, like scaling a deployment to zero replicas. It's fairly trivial. You just change the deployment manifest and it's just there. And then when the developer comes back, they can simply access Octeto. We build this integration with, with Ingress controller. So as soon as they hit an endpoint, we kind of like rehydrate their dev environment, restore all the settings, and they're ready to go in seconds. And that was something that was uh, really well received by our customers because it's, it's, it solves, as you said, a very real problem, which is we're spending too much in cloud, but we do see the benefit of giving developers access to cloud because some, some less sophisticated companies, their first reaction will be, well, don't give them access to cloud. They have computers. Let them use that. But then they start to pay in production-only issues, in lack of expertise in their teams, and all these things. So as they mature the adoption of Kubernetes, they see that things like this, like automatic deleted in spaces after a while, set them to zero so they consume less compute. We even wrote an autoscaler for Kubernetes so that you can scale the nodes following more dev-oriented patterns, which don't necessarily match what you do in production. Because in production, you know, traffic is fairly constant. You're getting hit, you scale up and down. With developers, it's mostly like you see this huge rush of deployments at nine in the morning, and then everyone goes home at six, and then no one's consuming CPU anymore. So we built a specialized garbage collector slash autoscaler to deal with these patterns that we see that developers have. And they have to be automated because you cannot just say, Start at nine, shut down at six, because in remote workforces, people work at different times. They work in different schedules. So we had to build in some smarts, but it's, it's definitely something that, especially like large companies really like the idea of access to the developers, but with, cost, with automatic cost control, rather than them having to chase people and tell them, hey, don't forget to stop this thing. So yeah, that's kind of how it works. So my impression of, garbage collection is it's essentially an unsolvable problem. It never ends. Well, actually, I, I'll zoom out. When you look at the suite of things that you can... So I, I'm kind of understanding what, what your gist is now. You're basically saying, look, there's a lot of stuff that you want on top of your Kubernetes. It, Kubernetes is so far from being a cloud. So it's, it's like if you basically take the difference between... You take the, you think about okay, so it's like one on one side you got like Kubernetes as it is when when Amazon gives it to you, and then you have Kubernetes as you want to use it as a developer, and the gulf there is really really big, which is why you have to write a lot of custom code on top of Kubernetes to get your infrastructure to work the way you want it to. With Octeto, you're basically saying, look, there is this margin between what Amazon gives you for Kubernetes and what you actually want out of Kubernetes, and we're just going to fill in as much of that margin as we can. 
Yeah, that's that's a good way of seeing it. The way when we when we talk to to users or with the community about this is, you no, know, Kubernetes is a great container orchestrator. It gives you resources, it has policies, it runs your things. But when you're building software, you need a lot more than that. The namespace is a good example. You need somewhere to deploy your code, so we give you a one-click namespace creation. But companies also need you know policies, security, so we automate those things for you. So you as a developer don't care. But then from there, Octeto bundles a lot of other things that you as a developer always need. A good example of this is when you install Octeto on your Kubernetes cluster, we install a remote build service for you based on BuildKit. And we also install a registry based on Docker's um, container registry. And we put them there because we know that any developer who's building a cloud-native application needs to build images and they need to push them somewhere. So instead of you having to push things to GitHub, to AWS, and then do a round trip to your cluster, we just put them in the cluster so you, your deployments are way faster. And then we build all the tooling to automate all this for you. So you run one command, Octeto build, and that builds your container just as it was with Docker, but it's already in your cluster. So then when you do your deployment, it's way faster. So we're kind of filling the gaps on all these workflows and tools that typically developers have to either assemble themselves or just don't use and give them to them. Another great example of this is we automatically provision certificates for your endpoints, well, um, which is things that everyone needs to do because you're testing your application with SSL, but if you have to do it by hand, it's time consuming, it's boring, it's not productive. Instead, Octeto does it for you. You deploy your application and Octeto will build the containers, push them to a local registry, and give you SSL. And then you're ready to just test it, write some code, and iterate on this. And that is where we're seeing that people really like what we're building because we give them those extra things that either they have to build themselves, which some developers like, but it's not really that productive. Like if you're a company who's building a REST API, spending a lot of time building a namespace manager is not on your best interest because that's not your business. Instead, we build it, it's our business, and then our customers use our stuff to build their own business and you know, go faster, easier, reach out more people, all those things that they need to do to make a, a healthy business. So your customer base is pretty interesting. You got some real infrastructure players, it looks like. So you got people from VMware, Cisco, Microsoft, Intel, IBM, Dell using Octeto, is that right? Yeah, so Octeto, at the end, we have different products. We have an open source uh, CLI that's very focused on anybody who's building Kubernetes applications. Then we have a public cloud that's for developers who want to build things in Kubernetes for themselves. And then we have a self-hosted version, which is called Octeto Enterprise. That is a version that you install on your own clusters, and that's what most of our customers use you know, at a, at a professional level. So one thing we've seen is that the kind of problems we solved around helping you get ready to do your work, it's pretty universal. Anyone who's building a, a microservice-based application has to do this prep work, right? You have to start your containers, you have to run your application, you have to figure out how to install your dependencies, and then when you write code, you have to figure out how do I update my application? Do I use Docker? Do I use kubectl? So that's really a, a big market of, of people building cloud-native applications that really benefit from all this automation we're building. So Octeto has you know, our community. Everything is started with an open source project. So in our community, we have 
everything from developers in large corporations to startups to more traditional enterprises. It's really cool to see. And I think it's a testament to, as we have more developers and as more companies build internal software, they need developer tools and they need platforms like Octeto. And I think that's why Kubernetes has really grown as it has, because there's definitely every day more and more companies need their own software teams. And the kinds of experiences that these sort of lower level, like I think of Dell EMC or Intel or IBM or Microsoft as needing things that go beyond web apps, right? Like a lot, most of the companies I talk to are sort of Airbnb, Uber, you know, a gaming company, things that are higher level. When you're talking about the infrastructure players, it strikes me that they need something different out of a Kubernetes platform. They perhaps need something that is a little lower level. Can you tell me about the difference between those two customer types, the maybe the hard infrastructure customer type, the Cisco or the Microsoft kind of customer versus the Airbnb or Postmates kind of customer that plays at a much higher level? Right. Well, one, one thing to consider there is that these large enterprises, they build software you know, up and down the stack. We have people using Octeto to build cloud infrastructure. There are teams in, in all the major clouds using some of more, more low-level components, our CLI, some of kind of like our, our open source stuff. We've seen in those type of customers is that you have the infra, which what they need is tooling to help them accelerate their workflow when they're building components. They don't care too much about namespace as a service, automated deployments, but they do like one of the kind of like the core features of our CLI is the ability to hot reload a Go process on Kubernetes. You know, the typical workflow where you write some code, you have to build a container, push it, redeploy your application, see the results. Instead of that, when you use our CLI, you simply run one command, Octeta up, that synchronizes your code, it keeps it synchronized back and forth, gives your remote terminal into your container, so you write code and you see the results. And this is something super useful for teams who are building something really close to Kubernetes. You know, if you're building a controller, an operator, because this allows you to test directly in Kubernetes from day one. So you don't have to spend time building mocks or trying to replicate what a cluster looks like in your local machine. You're just developing directly on a cluster. And actually that's how we started the company with this scenario in mind. As we talk to our customers, as we see the, the market of Kubernetes evolve, then you have, as you mentioned, all these, the, the Airbnbs, the Stripes, all these companies who they're building high-level components. And what these companies value, especially as they scale, is making their developer teams more efficient. You know, the Stripe, Stripe founders have mentioned a lot of times that they see the developers as like every developer contributes to the GDP of a Stripe. And they know that investing in tools that makes the developers go faster it's good for the bottom line. So that's where we see a lot of, of the adoption of, of especially our, our self-hosted version of Octeto, which is companies who they want their teams to go faster. They want their teams to not spend time trying to figure out how to do kubectl, apply, where to get their manifest from, having to learn Kubernetes. You know, if you're a front-end developer, learning Kubernetes is not productive. But if you have something like Octeto, you can just log in, click one button, deploy your API, and then you can directly work against that API. And then you're being more productive. You're taking advantage of Kubernetes, even though you're not using it directly. And that is one of the, of the kind of like core missions for us in Octeto is enable all these developers 
to take advantage of all these cloud-native technologies without them having to be experts on every single thing, which is, you know, a very common topic as, as technology matures, as it gets adopted, it has to look like, it has to be transparent, right? Like you have to benefit from Kubernetes without you even having kubectl installed. That is for me, the gold standard of any technology. And I think VMs got to that point, uh, you know, with what VMware was doing. Docker did the same thing for containers where you just run Docker up and that gives you a container. And we hope to do the same thing for Kubernetes as a dev tool. Can I ask, what was the um, ideation process for this? Like, how did you stumble upon this? This is a, this is a very like specific layer of abstraction that you're working in. So I'd love to know how you got there. It's funny because when when I look back at my career, it's it's funny because this is a problem that I've been facing for a very long time. I started my career at, at Microsoft. I was actually part of the team that was building Azure, and back then. One of the biggest pain points of my team, of the service bus, was the lack of a, of a realistic dev environment. Like we were building these things for Azure, but developers had to write all this like .NET code locally and then spend some time waiting for it to get deployed and then run your tests. Then you found something that broke and then kind of like start over again. I saw that in Azure. Then I moved to this startups. I kept seeing the same problem. And then right before Octeto, I was working for Atlassian. I was part of the team that was building HipChat. And we saw the same thing. You know, HipChat was, was doing well at some point. We were hiring a lot of engineers. And we started to run into this problem where you're hiring engineers, your, your team is growing, but your tooling and your engineering practices are not growing. And you start to hit all these problems around quality, around dev velocity. So my experience with that and then at the same time, my two co-founders, Pablo and Ramon, Pablo was at Docker at the time, Ramon was at Google at the time. When we chatted, we kind of kept hearing the same problems that I had in my teams was the same problems that Ramon had on his team. He was part of, a, of Gmail and Pablo was part of what was Docker Cloud at that point. So we kind of keep hearing everyone has the same problems around. How do I get started? How do I get a realistic dev environment? How do I run my tests? So all of that kind of like gave us the initial idea for like, hey, this is a problem that everybody has. And in those days, I'm talking maybe three years ago, we were really deep in kind of like containers and Kubernetes. So we said, hey, this is a problem that everybody has. It's a problem that especially as you move to Kubernetes, it becomes harder because now you're going from everything runs on my machine to everything needs to run on this orchestration software who's spread around, you know, tens of hundreds of nodes. So we saw that as an opportunity to say, hey, this is all these problems we've seen are going to get worse as people adopt Kubernetes. Let's do something about it. So we quit our jobs, started building this open source project. We got some really promising early traction. And, you know, through the community, through talking to prospective customers and, you know, through our previous experience, we ended up building what now became Octeto. You know, as, as you can imagine, we started with something fairly different. At the beginning, we were building a, a more traditional platform, something closer to Heroku, but for Kubernetes. But slowly, as we got feedback, as we iterated our ideas, we ended up with this idea of like, hey, what we really need is not, it's not an end-to-end -end platform. It's a platform for developers, for the development lifecycle. And, and that's where we are today. All right. You got my attention with Heroku for Kubernetes. I love Heroku. I just love it. 
I, I love the platform. It's an undying love. I've used Heroku competitors. I love those as well. But Heroku holds a special place in my heart as basically the first place that I deployed infrastructure to without going completely insane. I think before that, I tried to use Amazon Elastic Beanstalk one time and just went completely like I just I spent all day trying to use Amazon Elastic Beanstalk. And then I tried Heroku and I was just very as experience of love at first sight. I think the Heroku for X analogy will never go away. It doesn't matter how many firebases there are. It doesn't matter how many high level things there are. It's always going to be Heroku. It's honestly, it's almost like an Apple level brand. I think Salesforce made one of the most legendary acquisitions of all time. I mean, who knows how much do you think Heroku makes for Salesforce? Like it's so, it's so hard to know, right? It's hard to know because it's, I, I mean, and I agree with you a hundred percent. I remember there was this thread on Twitter the other day, but someone asked was, what was kind of like the first time you felt like, like magic using a tool. A lot of people, myself included, were like, yeah, Heroku, Heroku push was like, wow, you have a repo, Heroku push. It just runs. I don't know. I think it was, I don't know if it was a good or a bad acquisition, to be honest. That's a topic that I've spent what? a lot of how time is that, discussing. How is, that, how is that up for debate at this point? Are you kidding because me? Because I feel like Heroku could have done a lot more as an independent no, company. No, no, no. Okay, so that, they shouldn't have sold. I wish they wouldn't have sold, of course. Oh, yeah. Like, it would have uh, that's amazing. what I mean. Like, I, I, okay. think, I think that Heroku on its own could, I mean, who knows, right? But it could have been a, a, a huge thing. I think uh, the sales. It could have purchase, been as big as Apple. It could have been as big as Apple. It could have been as big as Microsoft. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I think so, but at the same time, I feel like I know some people that work with Salesforce, and the plans they have for Heroku. I think it's interesting. I, I completely you know, agree. People get into completely agree. I haven't counted Heroku out in the slightest. Oh no, no, and, and honestly, like I think from a developer experience perspective, like ten years into this. I still see them as the golden standard. I so agree with you. This is like a, it's like a torch. It's kind of a, um, gosh, oh man, we just go so deep on this. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, continue, nice... continue to like, to, you know, to give me, give me, I want to hear your thoughts a little bit deeper on this. No, I, I feel like they really nailed the, kind of like the, the shape of CLI, you know, the way the, the commands just flow. For me, what's really valuable is that it really gets, gets you to work really fast. It's like deploy your application. It's no longer a big deal. As you said, you don't have to get a VM. You don't have to get EC2. I, I think from for me, Heroku is an evolution in what serverless is trying to do, which is the idea. And I think that's where eventually we'll get to, which is I have code, run it. I don't care how, I don't care where, just run it, give me an endpoint, let me use my application. And Heroku really did, I remember when I was, on HipChat, we were using Heroku to build a lot of our, our chatbots because it was so simple. It was like, oh, I need a DB. Sure, add one thing to the manifest. Oh, I need logs. Add another thing. And the way they built the marketplace, so it was super easy to onboard other services. Back then, I remember we were using Keen for analytics. And it just everything just flowed so nicely. It was, it was very well thought, especially for you know, small dev teams. I think the problem with Heroku was probably didn't scale well for enterprises where you have to get into procurement, you have to get into approvals for everything, compliance, whatnot. But for small teams who don't have to go through those workflows, I feel like that way of deploying software was great. Actually, one of our investors, Devad, is um, he was part of the, of the Heroku team. And when we talked about it, it's, it's super cool to hear what, what they have to say when they were building all this stuff. It's, it's definitely... Feels like they were ahead of their time, right? I feel like most of us are just catching up to all this concept around 
dev ergonomics that they had many years ago. And they have retained. I think it's a very impressive how they've managed that acquisition. I've done enough interviews with people from Heroku to know that that product is so hard to build at scale. It's hard enough to build basically in any context, but at scale, it's just it's just insane. And have you used Firebase? Did you ever use Firebase? I have, yes, I have. We actually use uh, we use Firebase internally for a few things. Oh wow! Okay, tell me what you use Firebase for. So in our in our in our cloud, we use Firebase for some of our internal systems. We use it as a as a, mostly the store part of it. It's just one of those things that I really like. When we built Teta, one of the first things that we decided on was no database, Kubernetes or database, etcds or database. So everything, if you go to teta.com, everything everything is in a database. It's it's on Kubernetes. But at some point, we do need it to do, hey, we need to store certain things outside of Kubernetes, logging information, analytics, secrets, uh, configuration values, all these things. And we were looking around, and it was like, OK, what gives us kind of going back to our, our core topic of how can we be more efficient? And we were like, yeah, running a database is, is not efficient for us because that's not our business. So we ended up, one of our engineers, Nacho, ended up saying, hey, you know, Firebase is a really good fit for this. We just put the values there. It scales, put value in read it back, and it's so simple. And it just works well. It works well at scale. And for me, it's kind of like the same way we decided to run our stuff on something like GKE versus, you know, roll your own Kubernetes clusters. Firebase just made sense. And I really like all those tools that just give you endpoints to do things. Twilio and Stripe are, of course, the the better known examples of this, of like, hey, give an API to replace an entire part of my business. But I do like like Firebase, Supabase, who's trying to do the same thing, but open source are great ways to just make developers more efficient. And in a way that's easy to use. I think Firebase is not as easy to use as other things, but once it's set up, no issues. Knock on wood, I shouldn't say anything, but so far, no issues. <laughs> Here's my take. I think that Heroku versus Firebase is one of these classic X versus Y things that we can always point to to uh, to try to express an analogy. It's like a Microsoft versus Apple, an open versus closed, <laughs> iPhone versus Android. There's something there's something different between the two. I don't know exactly what it is. I think the difference is they're both sort of a backend as a service thing, but the Firebase is like we're backend as a service and our first class citizen class citizen that you're building everything around is our is our crazy do everything database and then heroku just says you're deploying servers and we help you deploy servers i I agree i think going back to those days it's funny how you can see that the initial target they had like their target user really molded how those things work because back in the day heroku was very focused on like Ruby apps, you know, the, the, the whole 12-factor app. It was, you have a monolith. Even back, I remember in the, in the first early days of Heroku, even deploying a micro, a multi-service application was not trivial because it was very clearly built for, you have a Ruby, you have a Rails app, run it. So a lot of their logic came from there. And I think at the same time, Firebase was very focused back then on like, hey, you're a mobile developer, you're building a mobile app, you need this database that does everything. And it just worked because... Yeah, when you're building them uh, back then, when we had less sophisticated mobile apps, a lot of the logic was, hey, I have data I need to store somewhere and I need to retrieve it later with a key. And I feel like this, even though they seem similar, like they're both backend, backend as a service kind of thing, I feel like as you start to use them, you start to see how a lot of their dev experience is very much influenced 
by these early use cases. And I think today, if you go to Netlify, it's the same thing. Netlify, I think, is very focused on front-end, static pages, and everything they do makes that easier. And I think that's where these platforms win, is by taking these very specific use cases and just being better than anybody else at it. At least that's my kind of my take on, on Heroku versus Firebase. Well, now that we've teed up this conversation, so you are trying to do Heroku for Kubernetes. It's an admirable goal. Thinking about the Kubernetes platform things, did anybody take that approach? I mean, the closest thing really seems to be Rancher. I think Rancher, I think the biggest problem with Rancher is, to my mind, and I, I like Rancher, I really like Rancher as a company, but my biggest problem with Rancher is I think they had to replatform. I think they were originally on their own thing, and then they replatformed to Kubernetes, and that, that to me is a very difficult challenge. I, I would assume that they're still trying to get that to get that to work. Yeah, that's true. They had their own platform, right? I think they did. At some point. I think they their did. own orchestrator, I think. Yeah, because they, yeah. they were around during this time, and then they saw the writing on the wall, and they pivoted to Kubernetes. So I'd seen a few a few tries. I think I think Rio was what, what Rancher was trying oh, to do oh, was oh, really oh, good. What was the other one? There was the other one that Microsoft acquired. That was a uh, Days Lab Dapper. No. Deus, yeah, Deus. Deus, but that yeah. wasn't that also was not Kubernetes. That was just a Heroku like experience. There was also anyway. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. There's a few of those. Railyard, um, Railyard was, was uh, well, no, Railyard was not. Uh, anyway, sorry. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> There's many of them, but I, I think. It's still a problem. Like one of my co-founders, Pablo, was working at this company called Tudum uh, that got acquired by Docker in kind of like the container wars. And Tudum was kind of the same thing. It's like, hey, I have a container, run it. Don't make me go through infra choices, just run it. I think it's still a goal. I think the challenge with Kubernetes and one of the main reasons why we decided to not get into the Heroku-like thing and focus on what we're doing is that Kubernetes is a lot broader than other platforms. So requiring you to have an application that looks very specifically doesn't work well with Kubernetes. Because you know with Heroku it was, hey, your app has to look this way. It has to be in a repo. You need to have this structure and it just works. And I think that worked really well to the Rails community because they were used to this kind of configuration enforcement kind of thing. In Kubernetes, people are running everything, right? You have people building like the sophisticated ML workflows batch jobs, containers, APIs, everything, you know, and you have Helm, you have Manifest, Customize, all these things. So I think anyone who's trying to build a platform right now, and I think Shippa's doing a really good job at this, it's a big challenge because you have to push both the platform and the application format. Maybe in five years, if we all as as an industry agree on an application format, it might be easier. And that's why for us, it was very important as we were building Octeto to build Octeto in a way that you can bring in any application and use it. So Octeto supports everything, Helm, kubectl, Docker Compose, single containers. We don't care about the format of your application. You can bring everything and you'll still benefit from all of these workflows I was talking earlier on. And I think that's what really sets us apart from kind of like the Heroku-like of the work, which I hope someone names it because I think it's needed. Every time I go back to writing Kubernetes manifests. I'm like, why are we doing this? It's so complicated. I do not see, you know, the purpose of the world doing this every day. So hopefully someone will come with a with a format. But until then, I think platforms like Octeto, who are more liberal in what they accept, have a much better chance of success than than, than the more forcing you in a shape kind of platforms. So again, the 
if I'm looking at the productivity features, actually, let me ask you this. What do you think of the term GitOps? I like it. I'm a big fan of doing things through Git. It's funny that it took this long to kind of get this broader adoption because when I was talking to Every time I talk about GitOps, I was like, yeah, but this is not new. It's been going on for a very long time. Kind of go back to Heroku. And there were other kind of Git-based deployments back in the day. So it's interesting that it's now becoming such a big thing. But I think one of the main reasons for, for this emergence of GitOps is because Kubernetes manifests are so hard to manage that Git makes it a lot easier. Like having you know, your, your, your Helm release file on a Git repo, and every time you update that, it just triggers a deployment gives you this very nice separation between development and production. It gives you an inbuilt audit law because you can see Git's history. I, I think it's definitely a step forward in DevOps and in, in all this kind of like journey we've been with infrastructure as code and all that. And I feel like anything that makes it more accessible to everyone, it's great. Because I think I think one of the downsides of, of this DevOps kind of revolution we saw in the last you know 10 years or so was that it was still very much gated to anyone who had an operations backend, right? Like using Chef or Puppet. It was not for everyone. Then Docker came, and now all these things with GitOps, it makes it more accessible. You know, commit, and it gets deployed. That's something that any developer who uses GitHub understands. And I, I like that a lot. Again, going back to the, the topic of more and more developers are joining the workforce every every month, every year. The more accessible all of our tools are, the more everyone can be productive and the more they can build cool stuff. I don't want people to stop, you know, waste their time trying to figure out a YAML file. I want them to build cool software and solve cool problems for me. How do you go from this place that we talked about a little bit earlier, where I see you basically as providing a lot of extra sauce on top of these hosted Kubernetes platforms on Name Your Cloud Provider? How do you go from that to the Heroku of Kubernetes? Or are you, are you already the Heroku of Kubernetes? I would like to say we are, but we're not there yet. I think for us, the path forward is really making sure that what we're building enables developers. What's very important to me, and, and one of the, the things that I kind of internally track is we want to make it easier for developers who have no experience with operations or Kubernetes build cloud native apps. I think that is the path forward, is, is kind of taking the spirit of Heroku, which is we're going to give you these tools that are very well integrated, that are very easy to understand, very easy to, to use, very usable. But at the end, there are the tools where I, the success is going to be if developers are using those tools to build software. I think that's always the, the dilemma with DevTools, which is DevTools are a means to a way, right? You want people to use your DevTools not because of the DevTools, but because of what they can accomplish with those DevTools. So that for me is going to be, if we're ever kind of can claim, hey, we're the Heroku of Kubernetes, it will be because of, we have all these users who are building amazing stuff on top of Kubernetes, and they don't even care it's on Kubernetes. They just say, hey, I have these great tools. They enable me to go fast, to iterate, to be productive, and to really be able to express my thoughts in software. For me, that is really the, the path forward. And, and today we're very focused on kind of like building these blocks and giving you all this one-click deployment, giving the environments, automating as much as we can. And as our platform matures, we'll be getting more into other parts of the lifecycle development, of the software lifecycle development cycle, 
like how you run your tests, how do you install your tool, how do you how do you interact with your IDE and your remote dev environment and all this other stuff. How do you get people using this? Is that hard? Yes and no. It was hard at the beginning. We were part of the of the kind of like Docker Kubernetes community. So our early days were very focused on talking to the community and kind of like trying to explain why the problems we were solving were worth solving and why it was good for them to adopt those tools. Now, as, as more and more people kind of start building microservices, containers, Kubernetes, that pitch becomes easier. I think right now the biggest challenge for companies like ours is that there are a lot of DevTools companies building things for Kubernetes right now. So from a developer perspective, it can be hard to tell which one you should be using. And you know every tool is good for something and not so good for other things. So definitely the challenge for us is how do we explain to our users and to our community, hey, we are really good for these five things. If you have these kind of problems, you should use Octeto. It will make your life easier. And that is the challenge. I think condensing, I was talking to somebody earlier today and we were talking about how hard it is for DevTool companies to really condense what you do to like a landing page or like a, a, a single paragraph. But it's, it's a challenge we have, but it's something that we're, you know, as, as always, talking to your community, talking to more developers is the way to go. And, and that's what I love about this kind of new class of companies that are building communities, that are building an open source. It just changes the conversation compared to the old school sales-driven approach. So that makes it easier. What is the biggest problem in the business today? Is it is it expanding sales? Is it going deeper with your existing customers? Is it engineering challenges? Is it marketing challenges? What's the most difficult part of your job today? I think it's a there's there's two it's kind of a twofold challenge. One is from an engineering perspective, one of the biggest challenges as you build a platform like ours is that we have all these ideas and we could build you know, 20 different features. But knowing which features to build and how they fit together is a big challenge. You know, you can have a CLI with 35 commands, but if they don't make sense within them or a dashboard that has all these pains that they don't have anything to do with each other, you're doing a disservice to your users. So one big challenge for us is how we enable all these scenarios while keeping a usable experience. And the other big challenge today is with marketing. It's how do we get people to understand the value of Octeto by visiting, visiting our website? Because once we have developers using our tools, they get the value. They run through our kind of like examples, they try with their own apps, they see the benefits. But the challenge is when you have a blog post, when you have a, you know, you go to octeto.com, I only have five seconds to convince you to try it out. So how do I do that? And that's a super interesting challenge. It's something that I come from an engineering background, so I've never focused on this part of the business until until now. And we have a great content designer in our team that makes makes all this so much better. But it's still a challenge, and it's something that I feel like will continue to be a challenge as the, as the company matures. Let's take a step back. You have been in the business for a while. You got a great resume, a lot of interesting stuff. So. I just want to get your perspective, your unique perspective on when you look at the world of backend infrastructure today, what is exciting to you and what do you see around the corner? One of the things that I'm super excited about is uh, WebAssembly, like the whole WASM thing 
competing at Edge. And I'm still a big believer in serverless. I think the current version of serverless is still kind of like not where it should be. But, you know, the idea that you can now run this very complex computations in places that are like super close to where I'm running, where I need to consume them in a way that's easy to manage and, and easy to support. It's, it's super interesting. I think the stuff that Cloudflare is doing where you can run business logic in a secure way on the edge of the CDN, it has the potential to change a lot of how we see um, computing. Because now you're moving from everything is in this huge data center, you know, next to a waterfall to, hey, I'm going to split my application in all these super small pieces spread all over the world. And that's where my users are going to consume it. And it's super interesting from an architectural perspective, from an operations perspective. Just imagine how do you do a rollout when you have functions in, I don't know, 100, 200 endpoints all over the world? How do you ensure that versions are compatible? It's a super interesting challenge. And I think it's also a very real problem. So that's something that I'm super interested to see how it evolves. And the idea of serverless of, hey, going back to, I have, I'm writing code. I want it to run efficiently, fast, without me having to do anything. That for me is, is, is a very interesting place to be at. I think a lot of the work, work that, you know, OpenFast doing, Knative, Lambda, it's, it's definitely moving in the right direction. And I can't wait to see what the next generation of those tools look like. Awesome. Okay, now is the last five minutes. I get to ask you the stupid question. I was at a Kubernetes conference three or four years ago when I realized something. The Kubernetes people and the blockchain people don't talk to each other. <laughs> Why don't they talk to each other? Well, they don't seem to even have respect for each other. They might even have disdain for each other. What's going on there? That's a, that's a really good question. I never, I never thought about it, but you are completely right. I don't know. I feel like it's just so funny to me. It just feels like the blockchain people think that the Kubernetes people are squares and the Kubernetes people think the blockchain people are just crazy losers. I think that's what's going on. <laughs> I, think there, I think there is something to it. I feel like Kubernetes became like enterprise so fast. Right. Yeah. Like I remember same thing going to KubeCon and, and you know, I went to the first two KubeCons and it felt like this indie conference. Oh my God, no it was so good. It was so good, this man. Kubernetes was good. I know it was, it was really cool. And then from... One KubeCon, and I think it was maybe Austin to Seattle. It was like, boom, oh, yeah, like yeah, every yeah. major yeah, vendor yeah. is sponsoring. You have this huge hall yes. with like every well-known brand trying to do things that didn't even make sense, but they were doing it with Kubernetes. And I was like, wow, it just, it just crossed this chasm super fast. So I think that the blockchain people still see themselves kind of like this, almost like this, you know, going back to the, the Apple analogy, kind of like the pirates versus the Navy. And I think they see Kubernetes as a very enterprise, stuffy thing. And most people who are not involved in blockchain, I think, see blockchain as this crazy wild west of things with no use. But it's, I honestly feel like they could benefit from each other because Kubernetes gives you compute and it gives you distributed compute, which is what you need for a blockchain. So it feels like almost like a match for each other. But you're right. They don't, they don't like each other for, for some reason. <laughs> Anyway, Ramiro, this has been a really interesting conversation. Anything else you want to add? Anything else you want to talk about? No, this has been great. Just wanted everyone to who's listening to invite them to try out Octeto. You know, we're we're a developer, a developer tools company built by developers. What's the sweet spot? What's the sweet spot? Like, what's the biggest pain point that you hear? You know, when people say, "Oh, Octeto saved my life because of X," what do they say? 
right now, and this is, sounds kind of funny, but it's actually, we have a lot of customers doing this, is if you have a Docker Compose that's too big to run locally, five, six services, a couple of databases, give Octeto a shot. Because just moving your dev environment from running Docker Compose locally to run the same thing, but on our platform, makes you go faster, makes your battery last as twice as much. It's a really cool use case. So if, if you're struggling with Docker Compose locally, if your machine kind of slows down to like snail space, when you run Docker Compose up, try Octeto and, and you'll see some, some really quick benefits. Well, Ramiro, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. No, thanks to you. It was great. Fun conversation. Love, love talking about the container wars, Heroku, all this good stuff. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Is there ever going to be another container wars? Are we ever going to have that again? I, I really hope not, right? Oh, I, I'm sure we'll have whatever the next container looks like. I'm, I'm, I'm already. What is that WebAssembly? Is that WebAssembly runtime? WebAssembly. I was thinking WebAssembly. I was thinking WebAssembly. Maybe something in data engineering. Maybe it's the Airflow Orchestra. Have you looked at Airflow? You know, maybe. You know yeah, what's going on yeah, there? Yeah, that could be another one. There's a lot of really cool things going on data orchestration. So that, that's basically. I mean, such we already a mess. had. I know we had container wars. We had VM wars. We had Java runtime wars at some point. So I'm sure there'll be something else where we. Uh, Engineers love to debate each other and love to pick winners. I think. The, so I'm sure there'll be I something. I think the uh, the data orchestrators are going to go to war. I, I think Dagster and uh, not to amp it up. I'm, I'm going to amp up the uh, the cage match because the cage match is going to be aired on Software Daily. <laughs> yes, it's going to be bloody. Dagster versus Airflow. No, Dagster versus Prefect. Airflow is like a like a passive ah. observer. <laughs> I mean, Airflow <laughs> is just like, yeah, I'm winning. You know, I've already won the game. You know. <laughs> That that'll be interesting. I'll be I'll be looking forward to hearing that episode. I because I don't think Airflow Airflow's reached because Airflow is so proliferate. It's like businesses around Airflow are never going to go away. I don't think. Uh, anyway, I, yeah, I, don't know. I mean, it just it just seems so. We'll see. Anyway, okay. Well, great to talk to you. Have a great day, Ramiro. Talk to you soon. Thanks for free. It was great meeting you, and, and thanks for having me here. It was fun.